What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 109, recording this on July 13th. It's a Thursday just after 2.30 o'clock here on the West Coast. I am Kyle Betts, as always, joined by the one and only Brevin Honda, and we are going to get into a lot of sports here today, Brevin, despite it not being so active in regards to any of the you know major professional sports leagues really that much mm-hmm. yeah that's always kind of like my favorite trivia it's like there's no there's only like two maybe three days in the year uh, out of all 365 days where there's no major league baseball nfl nba or nhl it's the day before the all, uh, all-star game the major league baseball all-star game and then this year it's the two days after the all-star game Right, so that being today. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so this is going to be interesting to see what happens here in terms of what we do tonight, Brevin, in regards to watching sports. I know there's a cool uh, summer league on. There's WNBA action going on as well. Um, obviously, last night we had CONCACAF Gold Cup, which we'll get to in a second. But other than that, Brevin, I can't really think of anything else. Not much, really. I mean... Uh, it's the off season for football. Training camps are starting next week. Um, you'll get um, obviously you get like what we talked about last week with Wimbledon. That's still going on. We have the mixed doubles final today. Um, I was watching a little bit of that earlier today. Um, you get FIFA Women's World Cup next week as well. I think it starts next week or if it starts within the next two weeks. So plenty of things going on. Um, as we're still, you know, like I mentioned, you know, another year away from. Olympic summer Olympic action too. Yeah, and I, I think you make a really good point. Bring that up, you know. Despite there being a lack of sort of game action this week, you know, these two days within this week, um, still so much news going on, and, and we're going to get right into it. Why not start with the fast five? And our first point here that we get into is going to be the New York Jets. They have been named the team that will be featured on Hard Knocks HBO this upcoming season. Hard Knocks, obviously, the uh, NFL reality series that we're all so familiar with. And in this case, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers that is headlining this for obvious reasons, joined by other really solid players on this uh, New York Jets team. And they have some hefty expectations, at least compared to last season. Yeah. I mean, when you get a player like Aaron Rodgers, like you talked about, you know, this is the, it tells you how much they want to win. You know, it's a lot different, you know, with the quarterback change and what you've got. You have a Super Bowl MVP now at uh, column plays. You've got, um, you know, former Packers players that came along eventually with Aaron Rodgers to um, New York. So, um, you know, this is a Jets team that wants to win. They got the young piece to do it both offensively and defensively to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about both sides of the football, one side that's really grown in recent years really has been the defense. And that is pretty much encapsulated by the season that Sauce Gardner had last year. And now you see the Jets going ahead, taking even more initiative, trying to keep their talented defensive players around today. In fact, ESPN's Adam Sheffer reported that the Jets and Quinn and Williams agreed to a four-year, $96 million deal. He's going to get $66 million of that in guaranteed cash. 
And this is a really big deal for a talented player. This is uh, pretty much him living up to his expectations. Yeah, this is a big deal for the Jets. You know, it was a first round pick for a uh, top first round pick for a reason um, in New York, and you're seeing that now. You know, to be really compared contract um, contract wise, you know, with some of the other top um, defensive tackles in the NFL. Definitely, Quinn Williams so talented. Like I said before, that Jets defense is looking really good and keeping him around for the long run, I think, is even more important for them. So nice deal that the Jets agreed to there. They're addressing their needs and kind of keeping their cap space in mind while doing so as well. All right, let's move on now to number two here on the Fast Five. And we're going to get into the SBs. Um, This is just one point here. We're going to break down the SBs a little later in the show. So Stay tuned for that, but let's let's talk some SBs right now. And I I think really one of the most notable announcements that came from this whole program, Revan, was that LeBron James announced that he's returning to the NBA for another year. It feels like this is more than just being recorded. I felt like it was staged a little bit too. I mean, I didn't watch most of it. I didn't watch a lot of it because I was out last night. But, I mean, when you see that and you think about the stage and – ESPN with Disney, it kind of felt like maybe there was something, you know, more than just LeBron announcing that he was staying um, for the NBA next year. Yeah, definitely. It uh, is definitely interesting to see that whole sequence play out during the show, Brevin. Like you said, I I think it definitely was staged in in at least some regard. And, you know, he, he is getting older. He's turning 39, but still playing at a high level as we saw this past season. And he takes incredible care of his body, spends millions of dollars on keeping himself in good shape and in good condition to play at the high level that he is. His diet I've heard is so important too. So yeah, all those factors together and and the amount of money that he spends, it's, it makes sense why he is still going at it and he's hoping to take the Los Angeles Lakers to the next level here in 2023 and 2024. Obviously, we saw them just get swept in the playoffs by the Denver Nuggets. So, in order for this team to uh, continue to pursue greatness, they got to have the king that, uh, you know, really um, takes greatness to heart when he talks about his career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels like, you know, especially with the way Netflix has done their documentaries, especially with some of their sports documentaries, it kind of feels like this – LeBron might be part of one, especially knowing his career, being a first overall pick in 2003, the time in Cleveland that he had. It just feels like it could be the makings of a Netflix documentary. Yeah, this is just another clip that they could put within that doc. Yep. Him him announcing that at the Espies. And talk (laughs) for 20 minutes about it. Right, exactly. And so it is interesting, too, because we all know that Ronnie is going to be playing at USC this year in college basketball. And with him being draft eligible next year, we have heard LeBron speak many times on his desire to play with Ronnie. So, yeah, I, I think that is still a, a possibility of happening. And and so I think, you know, him returning this year was pretty much expected. I don't think it was yeah. mm-hmm. necessarily needed because I think we all assumed he was coming back. But, yeah, that I think will be interesting to see, especially if he stays in L.A., to perhaps team up with Bronny. It just depends who drafts him or if someone trades up to draft him. 
yeah. calling for the scoring king. All right, let's move on now to number three here on the Fast Five. Let's talk some soccer. We're going to get into a couple things here related to soccer. Start with Christian Pulisic. He officially completed his transfer from Chelsea FC to AC Milan today for a fee close to $26 million. And so it was interesting to see how he got here because he had other offers and some interest as well from Juventus, Galatasaray, and Lyon. And so he instead elects to join the 2023 Serie A champions, obviously a team with so much talent. We've talked about the Champions League, you know, a number of times this year. Uh, they ultimately ended up making the Champions League semifinal. They they lost to Inter Milan, if you remember that. And so Pulisic now joining AC Milan, you know, the, this team with, with such high aspirations. He's now the third American to ever play for the club. And this all happened because last year at Chelsea, he saw limited playing time. They signed an influx of attackers from various different countries in Europe by the transfer market. And they've been clearing house in regards to their players for Evan because I think they've sold like 12, 13 players or something like that, this transfer window alone. And they finished 13th in the Premier League. So I think this is a good, nice, fresh start here for Pulisic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was an AC Milan team. They went fourth. They were fourth in the Italian Serie A standing at 70 points, um, 20, 20 wins, 10 draws, 8 losses, um, 2 points behind Inter Milan, uh, 4 points behind Lazio, and then 20 points behind Napoli for the um, among that top four. Yeah, that's right. Napoli was so good this year, actually. And um, to see... Pulisic now now join a team that can compete. I think that's really important. Like you mentioned before, we saw how they advanced in the Champions League. They got some talent. Rafa Liao is really good. He could be potentially on his way out just because he's so talented. He might go to an even bigger club. Uh, we I think they're strikers right now. Olivier Giroud is still there. We've seen him have so many great moments for France over the years. Um, and, and just overall, what they are as a team right now, I think any attacking help in the Serie A is important in playing the Champions League as well. So he brings a good presence to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting too, especially knowing that Christian Pulisic being part of Team USA and, uh, you know, like I talked about with the Summer Olympics too and how that, you know, it's going to come here before we know it. So all of this plays a part into um, so many different things. Yeah, we'll definitely see uh, about that and see if he competes in the Summer Olympics as well. but. You, you talk about that U.S. men's national team. Similarly, they, they don't play their necessarily A-team starters in this competition, and especially now that we, we saw the run that they made in, in the World Cup, you know, being able to get past that group stage. Um, and so now I think things are really interesting for this U.S. men's national team, especially after the result yesterday in the Gold Cup. Let's get into it. They played Panama yesterday. In the semifinal, the CONCACAF Gold Cup, this game obviously brevin at Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. A start time of 4.30, by the way, which a lot of people weren't happy about. Yeah, it was pretty... Didn't go the way it did. There was no score through 90 minutes, so we went to extra time. Both teams scored, then it was on to 
the penalty shootout. And once again, the United States, you know, after getting some luck um, in the quarters against Canada, you know, couldn't get that luck going in their favor against Panama losing 5-4. Yeah, Jesus Ferreira had a really good chance, I believe, around the 70th, 70th minute or something like that, where uh, the U.S. had a really solid counterattack in which they just pushed the ball upfield. Gianluca Busio was kind of leading the way, and they were able to connect on a couple passes. They went down the wing, passed back inside to Ferreira, and he just missed a, a chance he shouldn't have. And that was so unexpected to see him do that, as well as have his uh, penalty saved uh, as well when, when he shot during the shootout. Hmm. Because he is actually the tournament's goal-scoring leader right now with seven goals. So to see him really not capitalize on his good run of form was tough to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just tough to, to watch. And then you see uh, afterwards Mexico then defeated uh, Jamaica 3-0. So you get uh, Mexico facing off against Panama in the Gold Cup final on Sunday up in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. Yeah, that's going to be a solid game as well. I think the expectation is for Mexico to win that game. But just going back to the U.S., I think, you know, it, it hurts for them, especially because they haven't lost in the Gold Cup semifinals, I believe, since 2015. So this is back to uncharted territory, really, for them, because the expectations have really risen so much since then that the U.S. knows that they can compete. But when you put your beard C team level players out there, I think that's the result you're going to get. And that's exactly what happened yesterday because the U S men's national team should not be losing to Panama by any means. No. Do you think it's kind of, when you think about putting out these B and C team players, do you think that's a positive in a way that it gets those players that experience, or do you want to see that a team, um, for team USA every single time? Yeah, I, I think maybe a, a few more guys from from that A team level, so to speak, mm-hmm. would be would be important because you, you need that leadership. You you still need that presence, that captainship that you have. Obviously, Matt Turner was one of those guys who was out there, played a great tournament overall. Um, but I'm talking outfield players, guys who are actually you know out there. I mean, they were kind of missing that leadership at times. I think, and, and to even to have substitutions from guys who are in the first team, I think is really important. And, uh, you know, you just didn't really see enough out of these these players in this tournament who, for the most part, this is a pretty young team as well. So I think it was good for them to get that experience like you talked about. But all in all, I, I think they were missing some veteran leadership and, and guys who knew how to win at a high level and can perform at high stakes, especially against countries like Panama. Like I said, you, you, you just shouldn't be losing to them because the expectations here are so high. Yeah, I think it's also, you know, when you think about on the women's side too, you know, we're mostly seeing these players, you know, compete, um, you know, that that top team, you know, with Megan Rapino, you know, you see the Alex Morgans, you know, for the most part, unless they're injured or they have other, um, you know, health reasons that they're not competing. So I think we get kind of that notion as well from the women's side compared to the U.S. men's team. Oh, absolutely. I think you when you compare the two, the expectation is for the women to win it all. And the men were still trying to get to that level. But yeah, I, I think you're spot on with that. I think for both teams, 
over the course of the last decade, that expectation has definitely risen and the desire to win has especially grown, especially since we know what the U.S. has been through regarding their history, just not so much success previously. And so as our development improves and and both men's and women's teams, I think that's really important. And I I think we're going to see that expectation, especially in this Women's World Cup that's going to come up, like you said, this summer. And also, too, with the Copa America coming up, I believe, next year, the U.S. should be trying to compete or go toe-to-toe with Argentina and Brazil, teams like that, I think, by that point. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's move on now to number five here in the Fast Five. Close things out with the College World Series teammates. Paul Skeens and outfielder Dylan Cruz, these guys really showed off their talent, especially during the LSU playoff run and College World Series run that they had and ultimately winning the national championship just a couple weeks ago, in fact. And so these guys were the first two players selected in the 2023 MLB draft on Sunday. That happened in Seattle as part of the beginning of All-Star Week festivities. And really, Brevin here... This is historic because they're the first two teammates, I believe, to be selected one and two in an MLB draft. Yeah, I think so as well. You think about Paul Skeen's former Air Force alum as well, um, transferred from Air Force um, and uh, spent his two first two college years at Air Force and then uh, was part of the U.S. national team um, for two summers before coming to LSU, um, like we saw when the college world series and um he was the only division one player to reach double figures and wins and home runs in 2022 um he could be a two-way player but it looks like he'll just stick to pitching based on the 2080 grade for his um based on scouting fastball at the top at 80 slider 70 Change up 50, control 55, and an overall scouting grade of 65. So you're seeing that caliber that Paul Skins has the opportunity to do, um, you know, when he gets to, as he makes his way through the minor leagues. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as talented really as both Skins and Cruz are, they really have more growing to do here within perhaps their first couple of years here of minor league ball. We're going to see how long it takes for them to actually get called up here, but really cool to see these two teammates get drafted and hopefully they are able to make it to the big league soon enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Skeens was drafted by the Pirates. So when you think about that team, a lot of minor leaguers, a lot of minor leaguers starting to make their way to the major leagues. You, uh, we've seen O'Neill Cruz, Key Brian Hayes, part of that first wave. Although, both are, uh, I'm pretty sure both of them are on the IL right now. We've seen, um, um, yeah, just a couple. And then Dylan Cruz was drafted by the Nationals, and we think about how young that team is. You think about guys like C.J. Abrams, um, Josiah Gray, who's an all-star we're going to get to in a sec, um, you know, Mackenzie Gore, all these young products that they still have within their farm system. So yeah. uh, Cruz and Schemes will be part of, that pretty good uh, farm systems, respectively, for years to come. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. That's going to be really cool to see how their development plays out, I think, because they're 
their level of expectation, once again, so high as well. But they have really performed well all throughout their careers to this point. And that was really, you know, really hit the peak when they ultimately won the College World Series. So great to see them get drafted into Major League Baseball. And speaking of that, let's get into the league's home run derby. I believe it was the 93rd home run derby in the league's history. And it was a good one here. It was a fantastic competition all throughout eight competitors. And let's start off talking the first matchup that we had in the quarterfinals here, Brevin. The five seed, Randy Rosarina, defeating the four seed, Adolis Garcia, 24 to 17. And Randy really showed off his power here. He found his groove, and I, I think his consistency really showed. Yeah, he just wanted to set the stage for the rest of how far he wanted to go. It turned out to be the finals, which we'll get more into. And uh, you got to see just how much fun um, between Randy Rosarina and Luis Garcia had, you know, as we saw throughout this all-star week. Definitely. And I think the second matchup within the quarterfinals to start this prep was really uh, the best one for sure. It was the one seed. Luis Robert defeating eight-seeded Adley Rushman, 28-27. And this was a lot of fun to watch. Luis Robert showed off his power, and so did Adley Rushman. But Rushman, he did it from both sides of the plate. Yeah, he defined a switch hitter. He started off on the left side, started hot from, from pretty much that first pitch. And then... When he got the extra 30 seconds, he hit another six from the right side. He went perfect six for six wow. from the right side. It really truly defined a power hitting switch hitter. Yeah, he's fantastic. And it was disappointing to see him fall after such a really good showing there. Um, putting up the third most home runs in that round out of anyone. But once again, Luis Robert taking him down by one. He had 28. So that was that. Randy Rosarina against Luis Robert in the semifinals. We'll get to that in just a minute. Let's break down the other two quarterfinals, though, on that side of the bracket, though, uh, Brevin. Number mm-hmm. six-seeded Vladimir Guerrero Jr. taking on number three-seeded Mookie Betts. This one wasn't really close, and pretty much for good reason. That's kind of a, a tease into what's going to happen later here, Brevin. But Vladdy absolutely smashed it. He defeated Mookie. 26 to 11. Yeah, Moogie Betts needed 26 home runs. You know, we saw you know, just before Luis Robert getting that walk-off home run to hit 28. So Moogie Betts had to try and do the same thing as that second competitor in that matchup against him and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And um, he wasn't able to do that, as we saw. Um, but um, I don't know if you heard, but during the broadcast, um, ESPN was talking to Moogie's wife and just said, you just experience it at least once. That way then you can knock that off the list of what you were able to do. And you saw Mookie um, just enjoy, did not take a timeout, which was a little strange. Um, but he said he was just sort of in a groove. I don't, I don't know if you can really call that a groove for just hitting 11 home runs in yeah. um, three minutes. And But then he, Mookie also said it was he actually thought about how hard it is to actually hit a home run. Right, and I can totally see that. And that's so surprising from him just because he has such great power, as we see, night in and night out. But mm-hmm. 
you know, just, just hitting 11. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was the setting. Maybe it was a little bit of nerves, but like you said, um, just to be there, I think for, for him was great and that he was able to experience it. Um, like his wife said, and I, I think for Mookie, you, you know, maybe he, he did kind of get caught up in that sort of mental game during this performance, but still, we all know he's a fantastic player and there was definitely a reason why he was in this home run derby and he just wasn't able to show it at the, the highest level like he typically does, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in the other matchup, the mo- the the matchup that pretty much everyone wanted to see was a matchup of last year's semifinal round, I think it was, between Julio Rodriguez and Pete Alonso, but this time it was in Julio's ballpark. And if you know Spanish, you know Julio's uh, that translates to July, so this is pretty much his month, his stadium, his uh, all the lights are on him, and you saw him smash 41 home runs um, in his first round. Yeah, that was unbelievable. He just kept going. You you talk about Mookie and, you know, saying that he, he found a groove that wasn't really a groove. I think it was just like a, a consistent kind of pattern. But Julio Rodriguez had the best groove of anyone all night long. And that number, 41, like you mentioned, Brevin, that was the highest total of anyone all night. And he really showed why he is still one of the most – young electric young players in all baseball because mm-hmm. he's fantastic he absolutely showed that taking on Pete Alonso who I mean he just couldn't keep up yeah you just saw you know how just quick he was to the baseball and um you know it's just so cute to see how he was able to do it um pretty consistently um you know every single swing that he took for the most part and credit to his pitchers well didn't really take much of a step forward. He just kind of threw the ball with his arm. Yeah. And, um, you know, a big part of just that timing aspect, too, that comes into the derby. Yeah, definitely. I, I noticed that as well. I wonder how much they actually practice that, you know, together. But to, to see him take down Pete Alonso by 20 was, was pretty unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, big part of that, too, for Pete Alonso was he didn't have his home run derby partner or his home run derby thrower that he wanted because of uh, like a forearm issue so he had the Mets BP thrower um, so that might have played a part in yeah that one and then two and going back to Mickey Betts on that kind of that same note it was um, Monday was also all-star media day so the uh, I don't know who it was but the reporter asked Mickey Mickey what are your chances for the home run derby he told uh, Mickey told the reporter um, not that great <laughs> <laughs> so at least he was honest yeah he was honest and yeah sorry to everyone that bet Moogie bets to win the home run derby before yeah that's tough before uh he uh before Moogie said that yeah definitely <laughs> lost you lost ten dollars before home run derby even started yeah that that would be tough but the you know Brevin the, the semifinals these were pretty good as well. I, that one matchup that we're going to get to, Vladdy Guerrero against Julio Rodriguez was the highlight of all of it. But what do you think about this first one here? It was a Rosarina taking on Robert, and 35-22 to 22 was the discrepancy here. That margin, very significant because Randy showed off 
his power. He he did what he does best. Yeah, I just felt like Kiri, this is where you start to see the attrition and how guys are be able to maintain this type of a workout that they're not really in, um, you know, throughout the season. Maybe a little bit of off season work they focus on. Having this um, you know, putting in that much work in for that much, you know, for three minutes of how well, how how many home runs you can hit in three minutes, pretty much with a with a thrower, and so you start to see that tradition start to take place, and you saw that both with Luis Robert and Julio Rodriguez, who both lost in the semis. Definitely, and uh, you know, really, what I what I think here is a Rosarina being the guy who is able to do this on such a consistent basis because he, he's shown it that he is one of the more electric players, especially as the season goes on. And for him to smash 35 home runs, that was an incredible performance for him. Second most all night behind Julio Rodriguez, obviously. And uh, that was a nice precursor to the second semifinal matchup, which was Vladdy against Julio Rodriguez. Like I mentioned before, Guerrero Jr., taking down J-Rod in this one, 21 to 20. Uh, Julio Rodriguez really just didn't perform to the level that he did in the round previous. Yeah, he pretty much, like I mentioned, um, you know, J-Rod just couldn't quite get the point to where he was in that first round, didn't have a, um, didn't have a homer over 440 feet, so he didn't could, can get could not get two of those to get the extra 30 second bonus. So, um, you start to, you start to saw that, um, fatigue kick in and you saw, um, Vladdy Jr. Um, step up and, um, just needed 21 to move on. Yeah. You know, you, you gotta, you know, mention the fact that Vladdy really showed off his power in this competition and that's what we expect out of him. J-Rod just not able to connect like he was in the first round. It also kind of shows that not it's not necessarily a fluke, but I would say more so sometimes you go through good stretches and bad stretches. And, I mean, kind of similar to what we see in the regular season, that's what J-Rod did here, Brevin. I mean, obviously putting up 41 in the first round, 20 in the second, it's almost comparable to, like, you know, hitting well during one stretch of games and then being in the slump, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, that's part of, you know, just being part of that workout and just going through that type of a grind. It's so tough to do because, like we talked about with Vicky Vets, you know, we talked about how hard it was to just hit one home run. And, you know, in three minutes, you're trying to hit 25, 30 home runs to, in order to move on and then trying to do that um, two more times. You know, it's so difficult in order to, to do. Yeah, for sure. That That is no doubt. So, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. taking down Julio Rodriguez in that second semifinal led to our championship round where Vladdy took on Randy. And this one was really good, Brevin. I mean, really solid finish to this one. I have to admit, it was kind of confusing just because Randy was going so quickly. Yeah during this round that you weren't even able to process the amount of balls that were being hit. You couldn't even tell if they were leaving the yard or not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because, you know, with Vladi going first, he set the stage because it was lower seats. So Randy right. needed 25 to 
in order to tie to get to the swing off. But, yeah. and you saw that in the last, um, within his final 30 seconds that, uh, you know, he kept hitting these line drives that didn't go over ground balls, you know, pop-ups, and they weren't able to be barreled enough to get out. And you see uh, Vlad Jr. kind of survive because, you know, because he went first. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly what happened. He set the precedent, and he came out on top defeating Randy Rosarena in that round. You know, you think about Randy, those final 30 seconds were so telling, and we couldn't really tell if he was going to tie it or what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's, mm-hmm. that, that was really fun to see, I, I think, that whole sequence of events there, because, once again, a couple previous rounds here in the – Competition, they were close, but that's because um, one uh, was able to, you know, both were able to defeat that president. Not this time, and Vladdy takes the crown here. And now we all know that his father, Vlad Guerrero Sr., has had such a storied career. That includes a home run derby championship win as well. And so now, uh, by Vladdy Jr. winning this competition, he became the first son, and then Vladdy being the father, that makes them the first father-son duo to ever win a home run derby. Vladdy winning back in 2007, like I mentioned before. And Revan, this is a really unique kind of stat here, but I think it's going to survive for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would assume so, because it's it would take probably another good four decades to see maybe another father-son duo. Yeah. Um, to try and accomplish this again. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun um, watching this home derby, especially the moments at the end with, like we talked about, Randy Rosarini coming up just short in order to try and achieve his first home derby title as well. Yeah, I think it was cool to see them kind of uh, mess around with each other afterwards. Uh, Vladdy did Randy celebration with Randy, I think, um, <laughs> after the derby ended and, it's cool to see those guys, obviously friends, uh, show show that class to each other too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just shows how much fun that um, these players have, realizing that you know, as much as they're working and playing baseball, they're enjoying what they're doing at the same time. And you see that, you know, for a lot of these players, you know, we think about throughout the entire season, it's you know, I'm going to beat them. But then when they come to the all-star game and they're on the same side, it's, I want to win with them. And so you see that um, throughout the week. Yeah. And speaking of winning, Brevin, that's something the National League hadn't done in a long time. 11 years. Yeah, 11 years. They they hadn't won entering this all-star game. Obviously, we we all know by now that they won. They defeated the American League 3-2 in this game. Uh, like you said, first win in the past 11 years. And it was an unlikely hero that won the game. Yeah, it was catcher uh, Elias Diaz from the Colorado Rockies. Um, he hit a go-ahead two-run homer in the eighth and to give the National League a 3-2 win. Um, like you mentioned, their first win since 2012 um, in an All-Star game. Yeah, I, I think Elias Diaz, he's been one of the more solid catchers in this league, but, you know, representing the Colorado Rockies, each team has to have at least one player, and he was that guy. And so to, to for him to win this MVP award, it, it's a great honor for him. Obviously, it 
very well could end up being the highlight of his career, to be honest with you, being 32 years old. I think people are going to remember him for winning All-Star Game MVP for quite some time. So uh, to have that honor and to be recognized that way, I think it's great for him. And, you know, being on the Rockies, they don't necessarily experience that much winning. So for them to take away a positive and have that representative through Elias Diaz, I think that's that's really cool for their organization. Mm-hmm. Looking at the uh, Drag Kings odds for major uh, All-Star Game MVP honors. Yeah. Elias Diaz was uh, had the worst odds at plus 6,500 to win the All-Star Game MVP honors with George Kirby, Whit Merrifield, and James B. Swanson at plus 6,500. Wow. That's... So you get a long shot. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Wow. So... That is very significant there, Elias Diaz, ending up the All-Star Game MVP. And really fun game all throughout. Uh, Not too much scoring, as we would probably expect. But, yeah, it was a fun game altogether. And over that course of of the All-Star break, we've also seen the MLB release their 2024 schedule. Yeah, it was uh, probably – I mean, we saw it. With the MLB officially announcing the Padres and Dodgers opening the season in Seoul, South Korea uh, for two games in March. We heard about that rumored um, in May. I think it was from uh, Kevin Acey and Daniel Kim, I think it was. Um, so we kind of heard that the rumblings there, and then it became official um, a couple days ago on uh, yesterday on Wednesday, and then we see the schedule come out. Traditional opening day is March 28th. All 30 teams are playing that day, so a week after the Padres and Dodgers play in South Korea. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I think cool for the MLB to do that. And obviously, that's going to be a fantastic series. There are so many expectations for both of those teams when you think about what they're supposed to be doing on a regular basis. Also cool, too, to see us, uh, Ha-Song Kim go back home, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, you know, you think about growing the game. I mean, we all talked about during the pandemic how much we either stayed up late or woke up early to watch KBO games yeah. um, in Korea. Now we get to see um, South Korea be on display for two major league games. Um but yeah, like I mentioned, I was um, actually it was Joseph Kim who um, was rumbling about that, and there was one Potter reporter I forgot who it was, but um, but yeah, uh, should be a fun time to see uh, kind of like this rivalry square off in Korea. Yeah, no doubt about that. Great way to grow the game, like you said, just promote everything about it, and we're gonna be looking forward to that opening day. A few days later, a week later, in fact, all 30 teams playing. So the MLB giving these teams enough time to get settled back in the States and get their season going as well. And we talk about the Padres. Let's circle in on, on this season, though, Brett, because the first half is over. We've seen the Padres have some good moments, some bad moments, and, and honestly – to this point, the, the bad has kind of outweighed the good just because the Padres right now still a few games under 500. 
when you think about their season as a whole, Brevin, what have your impressions been? And do you think there's still time to really turn things around here? I think there are things to turn out. I mean, as much as we saw the offense kind of take the back seat for, for I would say, pretty much the first couple of months, first two and a half months, but then you start to see this offense turn it around. And then you hear guys like Juan Soto and Sander Bogarts talk about hitting the ball the other way, and you saw that from the rest of that lineup playing a lot better baseball. They went five of six before um, the All-Star break, and, you know, they're right back at um, – you know, four games under 500. They're just six games back of the wild card. They're only eight and a half games back of the division. And we know, um, you know, whether it's three teams, it's four teams. And we know how crazy um, August and September are going to be if the Padres want to stay with, um, you know, get back up there, um, get back up to the top. But, you know, you think about the talent that's on this team. And Juan Soto talked about this after the All-Star game, you know, with, with the offense that they have, the pitching that they have, the defense that they have, you know, just on paper, you know that this team can get it done, especially now that you have Fernando Tatis Jr. at the top of that lineup, or right in the heart of that lineup with Manny Machado and Xander Bogarts. And then you add in the starting pitching. You know, we talked about Blake Snell last week being National League player, the uh, National League Pitcher of the Month for Jude, Michael Walker, National League Pitcher of the Month for May. So you see the pieces there. We know you, Darvish, can pitch at a Cy Young level. And then you get Joe Musgrove as well, the hometown product, um, you know, at that top. And then you get one of the best closers in the game and Josh Hader at the back end of that bullpen. Um, and you hope that the pieces that are on the aisle right now, primarily Stephen Wilson and um, Robert Suarez, can come in and set the game up for Hader. Yeah, no doubt about that. I think really, you know, for this Padres team, it's just putting all the pieces together and just being consistent because there were several games this year that the Padres just shouldn't have ended up losing. And uh, due to unlucky circumstances, you know, guys yeah. performing. I mean, it's been really a lot of a lot of everything for this Padres team. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead now, what what do you expect, and, and how do you put all of that into perspective? What what's going to need for this team to turn it all around? Yeah, I think it's just rather than focusing on trying to put together a big run, just focus on winning that ball game that day. And I think you know, like we like we heard about with the Nationals in 2019, which Wanso was a part of. You know, just focusing on winning that game every single day. You know, this was a team that was 0 and 8 in their extra inning games in the first half. And so, um, you know, and two even one-run ballgames where that record's totally flipped from 2022. So I think it's just execution and not just trying to hit a home run every single time they go up, but just getting on base, letting the next guy um, come up if they can't do that and um, being able to rely on um, their teammates. I mean, this is a Padres team. They have a positive run differential of 39 and that expected win-loss record based on that is eight games over 500. So a whole 12 game, um, you know, a six game difference. Um, and that's the key that, that you see of how crucial these wins are. Um, that's the difference of being in top of the wild card versus not. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we've even seen the improvement of, you know, the stars in the lineup especially as of late for the Padres. I mean, Manny Machado looked good 
Mm-hmm. Nationally Player of the Week for last week, too. Yeah, exactly. You know, the past few weeks or so for him, and I think even Fernando Tatis starting to figure things out. And still, you've got guys like Juan Soto, who was an all-star. And I, I think really just given that talent, anything is possible here with this Padres team. So you, you mentioned talent and think about different kind of aspects of this team. What do you think is missing? What do you think the Padres need to do before this trade deadline in terms of their assets? Uh, well, stay healthy, I think, is number one. Yeah, um, we've seen other teams. Uh, yeah, which we'll get to more. Um, but I think staying healthy is number one, especially knowing the, like I mentioned, the talent that we have on this roster. Yeah. Um, maybe you could put middle relief in this um, category. Because you definitely have a closer that, unless the Padres are going to suck for the next few weeks, you know, you have a closer that's going to be with this team um, into August and September. And so it's more that middle relief because you saw how much of a toll that we saw from them, um, you know, especially in in June. So maybe middle relief. um, I want to say catcher, but it's so tough for a catcher because – yeah. It's not just offensively, but it's also trying to acquire a catcher middle of the season. You have to get on the same page with all the starters that you're going to catch on the pitching side. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And so that comes into play, and, you know, that's why we really haven't seen as many catchers get traded at the deadline and go into starting spots and be an impactful piece. And so the, I want to say catcher, but really I don't – see that happening really just for any team um, trying to trying to get catching because it's, you know, it's hard position, not just to trying to hit, but then to control a whole entire pitching staff, especially when you have, you know, relievers that pitch one inning, they throw nine pitches and, you know, you're not going to be able to, it's going to take some time to get them going to find that chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. So the Padres, really looking to make that next jump in regards to their season and competing with really all of these teams in the national league. uh, A lot of which have looked good at times. Others have underperformed. I think the most surprising of them all is the Reds leading the NL central right now. I don't think anyone saw that coming, Mm -hmm. but going back to the Padres now, the national league West I don't think anyone saw the Diamondbacks having 52 wins before the break as well. I don't think most people saw the Giants having 49. I think you probably could have imagined the D-backs and Giants being above 500 maybe at the break, but maybe not 8, 13 games above 500 at the break. Right, exactly. So the the D-backs right now looking really solid up there with the, the Dodgers among the top teams in the West. And so... The Padres just got to swap some some wins with them, to be honest with you. I think those series are what's it, what's going to be key is really honing in on these divisional opponents and taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Padres, they are, like I mentioned, they're six games back of the final wildcard spot held by the Giants. Um, and they're still... Five and a half games back of both Milwaukee and Philadelphia, the latter team the Padres are going to face for four games this weekend. Definitely. All right, let's get into the Angels now. And 
man, you think about this Angels team. We talked last week for Evan. It was bad. Suddenly, bad has gone to worse. And that was only in the span of two games, Brevin. Yeah. So uh, the Dodgers take a two-gamer three-way series against the Angels just a few days ago before the break. And, uh, yeah, that that pretty much caps off a first half that was looking bright at one point and then ended in a lot of disappointment. I think I've said that each of the last four years at least. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been rough, Brevin, because this first half was looking great. The team was eight or nine games above. And, and now to see really the whole team get hurt, it hasn't looked good. And the, the depth has been better in the past, but it, it's so hard to overcome pretty much an entire starting lineup that gets hurt. Yeah, this is an Angels team that lost 9 of 10 heading into the break. And then when we talked about, you know, when this Angels team was winning, oh, yeah, we're going to keep Shohei, and then Shohei Otani. And the next thing you know, it's like you hear just because there's no baseball going on, oh, the Angels uh, is already Marino and Perry Manazian going to be able to trade Shohei Otani. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so that, you know, just it just shows you how much, you know, when you win – you're not going to talk about trading pieces and all these different things. It's why you talk about, you hear the Cardinals saying, oh, we're going to be sellers. Because when you look at that team, they're, they're nowhere near, um, you know, being in contention. 11 games back of the wild card and a lot more in the NL Central. Yeah, that's very true. I think those are all important things as well. And we're actually going to get into more Shohei Otani here in a minute. But to continue talking about this first half, Brevin, you know, th- those injuries and Shohei Otani being one of those guys who hasn't got hurt, I think it's been really important that uh, he's the MVP winner pretty much already at this point of the year. And it- it's been fantastic to see what he's done with this team. But when a lot of these younger guys get, get hurt, it- it's tough to tough to under- overcome. And so the Angels, we- we've seen them make a couple moves already. They, they traded for Eduardo Escobar and Mike Moustakis as we – talked about just a couple weeks ago here on down the line. Those have proved to be pretty significant just because they needed that depth. Not saying they haven't performed well because they've, they've been sufficient in their roles, I think, but still, I I think to this point, you send Jared Walsh down, there's all these other moving parts with, with guys being sent to the IL. Uh, It's tough to overcome. So at least you see them trying to do something, but still a lot more to be done this month. It just remains yet to be seen what exactly that is by this front office. Yeah, Kyle, what are you hoping, you know, as we get towards the second half? You know, we talked about this Angels team uh, losing 9 of 10, including 5 in a row, and then they get to start off facing the Astros. Um, What do you kind of see hoping for these next couple of weeks um, to open up the second half? Yeah, I think it's getting healthy first and foremost. And this All-Star break, I think, came at the right time in order for some guys to do that. It's uh, been interesting to see the progress of a lot of these guys who have been placed on IL, but Zach Neto, Anthony Rendon, and Brandon Drury each could come back next week, which I think would prove huge for this team. Obviously, all three being starters, so that would completely shapeshift the lineup into a more positive there. And when you think about their contributions so far, 
Anthony Rendon being the most disappointing really throughout his whole Angels career so far. But I think that makes it even more important for him now once he actually is healthy to do something and produce for this team. Because at this point, they need it. And without Mike Trout, it's going to be tough. But the intel, so to speak, on Mike Trout right now is he's expected to come back by mid-August at the earliest. So we'll see about that. Another guy who's been hurt, Logan O'Hoppy, starting catcher. He seems to be ready for a return in late August. So still some time before those two guys come back. But Neto, Rendon, and Drury all collectively need to perform well when they do come back. And it's going to be interesting to see. But I think that's one of the two biggest things is just getting healthy there and having those guys step up. Overall, I I think right now just – during this nine-game losing skid, or nine out of ten-game losing skid, if you will, here, Brevin, it's that the, it's the pitching that hasn't really performed up to what we expect from this team at this point. 7.73 ERA in the last ten games. The struggles have mostly come from the lefties. doesn't even matter where they come from. We've seen struggles from Tyler Anderson. We've seen Patrick Sandoval not perform up to the level he should this year as well. Aaron Luke continually finds a way to give up runs, it seems, even though he had a really good month of June. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's it's these lefties who have really struggled, and just the fact that you have so many lefties on your roster, that that's kind of hurting them too right now, especially now that they're not in form. Yeah, and then you think about how much that six-man rotation kind of comes into play. Yeah. And so... As much as you have Shohei going every five or six days, whatever it is, do you want to try and maybe take out of one of those one of those lefties and just go five man, and knowing that you'll get better performance out of Shohei, um, you know, it's something that's probably being thought about as well. Yeah, I think at this point you, you might as well because it's it's almost crunch time for this Angels team. This month is going to be so important for for obvious reasons. And the future of Shohei Otani is now critically at stake, I think. And because of that, the Angels should pretty much be in panic mode right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and too, when we think about Shohei Otani, because we think about this team losing, and if it gets any worse, you think about this might be the value to get to trade Shohei Otani, knowing the, the value that you'll get back in return. And so, do the Angels, Kyle, do you see the Angels trading Shohei Otani within the next couple of weeks before the August 1st trade deadline? Yeah, I think I think most fans or any logical person who watches baseball would say, yeah, if you're not contending, then you should probably trade him. Depends how these next two weeks really go. I, I think it, it, that's what's key. And at that point, you can make a decision. But right now... Uh, I, I think you hold on to him for now and you just see how it all rides out. And I think that's how ownership is treating this, but more so from the side of they're probably leaning towards keeping him because that's what they've pretty much preached all along. The angels were in this position last year as well. And they didn't trade him and they decided to keep him. So I don't really know what changes this time around other than the fact he's on the contract year. I think we need to hear something from him, you know, pretty much outright at this point to know if he wants to be traded at all 
or if he's just going to stick things around and, and wait for that contract. But he's made it clear that he wants to win. And the all-star fans in Seattle were, were chanting, come to Seattle, all those Mariners fans that were there. And uh, it makes you think what's actually going to happen or what decision he's going to make in free agency at this point, because this was the year that the Angels shouldn't have been falling behind before the all-star break, but it happened yet again. Mm-hmm. The Angels um, have technically just this whole homestand uh, before the August 1st trade deadline. So they get three at home against the Astros and another three at home against the Yankees. Day off on the 20th, so a week from today. And then three in three at home against the Pirates next weekend before going on the road to Detroit, Toronto, and Atlanta. That first game is the 31st. And that series against Atlanta goes until August 2nd. So, see, like, these are all such tough series, is the thing. These are so <laughs> tough. All, you know, maybe you, you might think the Tigers, well, you know, they haven't been that great this year, obviously. And then there's the Blue Jays. They, at times, haven't performed up to what we should be seeing out of them. Well, it doesn't matter. That's, that's on a road trip. So, anything can happen, I think, at that point. And, the, the amount of talent that's coming to Anaheim, it's going to be a tough test for this Angels team. And we're going to see if these guys can handle some adversity because this could not necessarily be easy. And, and so they just got to get through it and win some ball games here because the future of Shohei Otani really is at stake. It just depends what the front office wants to do. Ultimately, I think they're going to keep him. But at the same time, if they lose, I don't know, probably the next nine out of 13 or something like that, they would probably go. The right thing to do would would be to trade them at that point. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some NBA, the new in-season tournament that was announced last weekend. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the new WNBA off-season league that was announced last week as well. We're going to get into some ESPYs and into some trivia, so that's all coming up next year, so stay tuned here on Down the Line. Welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 109. I'm Brett Mahonda alongside Kyle Betts. It is Thursday, July 13. We're approaching 4 o'clock here. We've talked a lot of baseball in our first half, from the All-Star Game to the Home Run Derby to the MLB Draft. The top two picks selected as the next future stars of tomorrow. Now we're going to talk some NBA and biggest news out of the NBA as the Summer League is taking place is this new in-season tournament called the cup that was announced on saturday it stems from when you think about needing some more energy and motivation you think about the play-in tournament that's been instituted with that last few years so this tournament um it's gonna involve all third all 30 teams in the nba and um these games will count towards the regular season so you get uh 15 teams from both conferences separate into three groups in group play followed by bracket play where the six group leaders and one wild card from each conference will move on to the knockout round. 
Yeah, this is uh, interesting. It's almost like European soccer champions league in a sense, mm-hmm. but a little different. Uh, but I, I mean, at least in terms of the structure, it appears to be pretty much all the same that we've seen in champions league. And the knockout round is pretty evident of that. You, you see the quarterfinals, your, your typical tournament involving, you know, all these different teams and, it's going to be fun to watch. I think these groups have a good variety when you think about how they match up against each other. It's not all the teams necessarily from the same region, despite being from the same conference. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of like the mix up of, of talent and, and different teams that are going to be performing and trying to advance to the next stage. Mm-hmm. The final four teams um, in the knockout round will play in Las Vegas for the cup. Like I mentioned, these games are going to count towards the regular season standing, so it'll still be 82 games. Um, in terms of scheduling for these games, group play slash tournament night will be every Tuesday and Friday from November 3rd to November 28th, except on Election Day, November 7th. Um, so you'll probably see TNT Tuesday nights and ESPN Friday nights. I like that. Um, that's what I'm assuming, because that's what it's that's pretty much how the TV schedule's been. Yep. Um, the knockout round will take the quarterfinals will be December four and five, and the semifinals will take place on December seventh before the championship game on December 9th. Kyle, you want to hear the groups? Yeah. That's it. So in the Western Conference, um, in Group A, you got Memphis, you get Phoenix, you get the Lakers. You get Utah, and you get Portland. Yeah, once again, that seems like a very diverse group in terms of teams from different locations. It's not the Lakers and the Clippers paired in the same group, for example. So, yeah, this is going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. I think the strongest teams here, obviously, being the Suns and the Lakers and the Grizzlies, too. We've seen how they performed in recent years, but... I think losing a couple other pieces might have impacted them a little bit. Uh, but regardless of that, still a competitive group. The Trailblazers look for good for the first half of last year. We still have yet to see what happens with Damian Lillard. Um, that could change at any point, too. And the Utah Jazz, I think, kind of outperformed expectations last season. So uh, Laurie Markinen was one of those guys who was all-star, really underrated. I don't know. This could be a really competitive group. Mm-hmm. Group B, you get the reigning champs, the Denver Nuggets. You get the Clippers. You get the Pelicans. You get the Mavericks. And you get the Houston Rockets. You get Nikola Jokic. You get Paul George and Kawhi. You get a if hel- a healthy Zion Williamson, possibly. You get Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. And then you see Fred Van Vliet there, too, um, in his new team. Yeah, for the Clippers, I'm just wondering if they're going to have a fully healthy roster in order for us to see them in this tournament perform at a high level, honestly, because uh, Kawhi Leonard, he was injured for a good portion of last year. Paul George was out sometimes too. And a lot of their pieces just weren't really out there all at the same time. So I think they're a team with a lot of potential. We still have to see something from them too. But the Nuggets, obviously the team to be here. The Mavericks kind of reloading with Luka and uh, Kyrie re-signing recently, as we talked about last week on down the line. And the Pelicans, they got still got Brandon Ingram. They got a couple other guys that are pretty good. So, yeah, this is going to be a pretty solid group as well, but the Nuggets should come out on top. Mm-hmm. 
And then in Group C, you get the Sacramento Kings. You get the Golden State Warriors. Those two teams faced off in the Western Conference semis. That series went seven games, as you saw. Steph Curry pounded out 50 points in that Game 7 to help his Warriors team move on. You also get the Minnesota Timberwolves. You get and a couple of younger teams in the Oklahoma City Thunders. We saw Shea Gilchrist Alexander, first team All NBA this past year, and the team who drafted Victor Wembanyama, the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, I kind of think this is a fun group here because these teams are also competitive in their own different ways. You mentioned the Thunder and Spurs being the younger teams, not expected to perform very well. I think a tournament like this could allow them to perhaps make a run and upset a lot of people. And we could see some surprises here. I don't know why, but I feel like this group, yep. you know, these teams could be susceptible to that. And the Golden State Warriors, I think, should be the team expected to come out on top. But the Kings, they performed very well last year, obviously. The beam was lit pretty often. And the Timberwolves, well, they got a pretty interesting roster right now, I think. But at the same time, some all-stars, too. So um, this is going to be, I think, potentially a fun group here out of the Western mm-hmm. Conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then in the Eastern Conference, Group A, you get the Philadelphia 76ers. You get the Cleveland Cavaliers, as we saw Donovan Mitchell, who pounded out 71 points last year, uh, participated in the All-Star Celebrity Softball game. Um you also get Trey Young in the Atlanta Hawks. You get the Indiana Pacers, and you also have the Detroit Pistons here in Group A. Yeah, I man, I don't know who's going to come out on top of this group. If I had to give you a a name right now, Brevin, I would say the Cavaliers. I think they have a really nice mm-hmm. roster. They should be fully healthy entering this season, and I think you know they impressed me last year, especially with their guard play. They got a lot of guys that can do different things. Donovan Mitchell kind of leads the way there. Um, they still got Jared Allen down low. They got a balanced roster all together. So I think they're expected to come out on top. But the 76ers, uh, we really see them often around the early portion of the season going into, you know, the new year, which is pretty much the time frame of this tournament. That's when they tend to perform very well. And that's when Joel Embiid is always seeming to be an MVP candidate. So I think they can always perform well as, as long as Joel Embiid's out there healthy. Mm-hmm. In Group B, you get the Milwaukee Bucks, so maybe a healthy Giannis Antetokounmpo on top of some other pieces that return, as we talked about last week. So go check out uh, episode number 108 on some of those free agents who returned to Milwaukee. You get the New York Knicks. You have the uh, Eastern Conference champs from last year, the Miami Heat. You get the Washington Wizards, and the final team in Group B, the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, the Hornets being the team that went uh, number two overall and decided to pick Rice Miller with that selection there. And so this is a really solid group. I think it's going to be really competitive. If I had to give you two teams here, I think the Bucks and the Heat would most likely advance because – the Bucks will be fully healthy this year. They just re-signed Chris Middleton to that contract we talked about last week as well. And the Miami Heat putting together such a great run this season all together. You know, I, I think this is a team with still a lot of potential, and Eric Spolstra has proven he is one of the best in the game. So those two teams should probably be favorites. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that leaves Group C. You get Boston, you get Brooklyn, you get Toronto, you get Chicago, and you get Orlando. Yeah, the Boston Celtics, I think, probably anticipated to come out on top of this group here. Other than that, Revan, I probably couldn't even give you a name. I think anything can happen here in this group. See, I think this is yet another quote-unquote fun group in terms of you just don't know what's going to happen. Unpredictable, really, between all these teams. The Brooklyn Nets have a very interesting roster. Um, Ben Simmons, I believe, is still there. So we're going to see a few plays this year. Then they've made some other moves. Obviously, recently they have Mikhail Bridges. He is a trade target, though, so we're going to see if he ends up getting dealt. Um, I think that's a real possibility this year. But, yeah, the Nets have a really interesting roster there with a lot of young guys. The Raptors uh, don't know too much about the roster. I know they still have uh, Pascal Siakam easily in the way. OG Ananobi still always involved in trade rumors. They got Jakob Pertl. Uh, playing as their big man now. So, I mean, they're a pretty solid roster. They just got to really just put it out there on the court, and we got to see that product come together. The Bulls, somewhat of a young team, they just um, resigned Vucevic, as we talked about last week, and um, a lot of their guys, Zach Levine being one of the, uh, really need to step up this year and make them competitive. So they're out there. And then the Magic, just a really young team. So, Man, this Group C, I I couldn't give you a really surefire answer other than the Celtics. I think it's really just a a dogfight after that. It feels like, too, it feels like what we probably should have gotten when the NBA played in the bubble in Orlando because you didn't have all 30 teams playing because some of the teams were already eliminated. I feel like you might get that type of a feel because there's some sort of competition on the line. We saw from how much of the bubble it fueled teams um, for that next season as well. So I don't know. We might see some of that bubble feel in a way um, in terms of just, you know, playing for something. You know, when we thought about the bubble, it was eight games for the most part. Yeah. And um, the coaches said, you know, let's try and do our best to, to do as well as we can. And you saw, uh, I think it was the Suns, they went 8-0. And then you see them go out and get two games short of winning a championship the year later. And so... Yeah. I don't know. We might see some of that feel, I feel like, within the, this NBA Cup in the in-season where it's like, all right, let's go do as well as we can, and that might ride us into the playoffs um, come April and May. Yeah, I think you're right. And the only difference really this time is it's all the teams involved, like you mentioned, and we're going to have fans there too. We're going to have mm-hmm. a Yep. I remember I went to a uh, virtual Clippers game during the bubble when I was and that was pretty fun. So uh, even more so fun to actually be there in person and yeah. for all these fans to experience something new for the first time, it's going to be really exciting. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on to the news surrounding the WNBA last week. Um, it involves something kind of similar. There's a new off season women's basketball league called unrivaled. It was uh, announced by WNBA players Nafisa Collier from the Minnesota Lynx and Brianna Stewart from the New York Liberty. This is going to take place during, like I mentioned, the WNBA offseason from January to March. Remember, the WNBA season goes from May to September, so there'll be some time in between um, to rest and recover both before the 
um, New League search and after. Um, so thirty of the top uh, thirty of the top WNBA players are playing on six teams, and they'll play games of three on three and one on one. Yeah, and, and you know this is going to be really a fun competition for these players just to give them a new experience. Three and three, especially one on one. I think a lot of people are going to want to watch that. And you know the most notable reason why they're doing this is. Players can stay in the U.S. during the offseason and they don't have to go overseas and, and play elsewhere to continue to get experience and make more money because obviously we all saw what happened with Brittany Griner last year um, because, you know, she was in Russia because that's where she played during the offseason. So mm-hmm. um, you, you never know what's going to happen uh, over the course of an offseason, especially when you're not home. And I, I think that's um, – a scary thought for a lot of players who have to do that and, and have to dedicate so much to move overseas during the off season and trying to do more. So this league gives them an opportunity to continue making progress and continue making money also. And I think that's really the benefit here. Mm-hmm. I think too, what you're also going to see too is in terms of the three by three aspect, you know, we saw this at the 2020 Olympic games, you know, especially on the women's side when they won the gold medal. So, You'll see that too. You know, we know that this is the top players in the WNBA, so it might also be some um, experience playing three on three uh, for a team USA Olympic level too um, before next year. All right, we're going to move on to the SBs, where the best WNBA player was Asia Wilson, part of the Las Vegas Aces championship team. Um, last year, the best team overall was the Kansas City Chiefs. Just coming off of their Super Bowl championship, and the best comeback athlete, or I should say, the best athlete in men's sports was Patrick Mahomes from the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, pa- Patrick Mahomes also named the best NFL player mm-hmm. overall. So good to see him get the accolade and. You know, very deserved because he is the best in the game. And so he's getting on the right. And obviously he plays on the best team. Mm-hmm. Uh, best athlete in women's sports went to Michaela Schiffer. Remember, she broke the record uh, for most World Cup wins that we've talked about in skiing um, a couple months ago. You have best championship performance goes to Leona Messi uh, from Argentina during the World Cup finale member uh, Messi also took home Best Soccer Player Award. Yep, Leo Messi, the best in the game, and he's getting honored right. And it's going to be interesting to see him now playing in Miami for the first time. But Mm -hmm. I think he's going to put on a show in the MLS. Mm -hmm. All right, now we get to a couple of purple and gold from the LSU. Tigers best breakthrough athlete going to Angel Reese. Um, part of the LSU Tigers Women's Basketball Championship run um, to win the national title. And you get former LSU Tiger Justin Jefferson with the catch of the century for the best play. Yeah, I think that was deserving for him to win that winning best play. Um, he has put together so many great performances over the years. And for him to win best play, I, I think very deserved. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do next uh, in the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. 
as we go through some more college athletes, best college athlete men's sports was the Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams from USC football, and the best college athlete on the women's side was Caitlin Clark from Iowa women's basketball. We saw her put up triple doubles game after game. Yeah, two athletes here in Caleb Williams and Caitlin Clark uh, winning these awards because they definitely deserve it, and I think. You know, Caleb Williams, we all know that he's going to be a future number one overall pick. And I think Caitlin Clark is probably going to be held in the same regard. So uh, these two proving their worth, even though, uh, you know, Caleb Williams, he's not even done with uh, college basketball yet. Caitlin Clark, I I believe she's still going to continue playing as well. Mm -hmm. Best record-breaking performance was LeBron James as he surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the NBA career screen records. Also, when we heard that LeBron James is going to play with the Los Angeles Lakers next season, as we talked about at the top of our show. Yeah, I mean, that was a key part of his season. LeBron James was breaking this record here and I think doing it in such a great fashion, proving that he can still play at a high level at age 38. It's been great to see, and the Lakers really are really nothing without LeBron James and Anthony Davis, so... Um, LeBron still playing well at a high level is really astounding. Mm-hmm. And then you get best NBA player, Nikola Jokic from the Denver Nuggets, NBA Finals MVP. Best NHL player was Connor McDavid from the Edmonton Oilers. Best MLB player, Shohei Otani from Los Angeles. Angels did not have to travel as far as the other two. Yeah, that's for sure. And you know what? I think these three players here uh, really just are the best players in all of their sports. And there's no question about it right now. So I think the voters got this right. And Shohei Otani just winning another award is great to see. And I think really all three of them and Jokic, McDavid and Otani, they're going to continue to win these SB awards in years to come. Mm-hmm. And you get best golfer uh, went to Shohei or went to Scotty Scheffler. I wish Shohei Otani could play some golf. Um, Scotty Scheffler, best golfer, best tennis player. Novak Djokovic currently playing in the semis uh, in Wimbledon in the singles. Yeah, I like these two being selected here. Scheffler putting together another successful year. We all know that he's capable of winning at the highest level. And Novak Djokovic, yeah, he's one of those guys who has really continued his greatness. And I believe he's getting later in his career now, probably coming up 33 years old or so. But he is still winning majors at the highest level and just really taking over any tennis match that he plays. Mm-hmm. Scotty Scheffler was last year's PGA Tour Player of the Year, went four times last year, won at the Phoenix Open, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Masters Tournament and won the World Golf Championships Dell Technologies match play to be named Best Golfer at the ESPYs. The Jimmy V Award for Perseverance went to Liam Hendricks of the Chicago White Sox following his battle with cancer. Yeah, we've talked about him for quite some time here on down the line, and so it's great to see him get honored yet again. And what a great award to do so, the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance. He's absolutely deserving of it. And to see him pitching yet again, is even better, and so uh, we are all happy to see him back out there and happy and healthy as well. I, I think that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. The Arthur Ashe Award for Courage went to the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. 
and the Pat Tillman Award for Service went to the Buffalo Bills training staff, and that award was announced by Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin. Yeah, that was a pretty cool moment because he got emotional and he was able to uh, thank, you know, the man who led the team that saved his life pretty much. And uh, it was uh, cool to see that moment all come together. And I think they are a very deserving team of that because it just goes to show how important our doctors are because anything can happen at any time. And so to see that complete team trained and ready to do the right team, they were able to, um, you know, revive essentially Hamlin here. And so uh, it, it was great to see that moment. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that the head of that training staff said uh, he, he thanked Hamlin on the stage for staying alive. And then he said he was a, <laughs> yeah. And then he said he was a really strong and courageous human being, which is very true. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's incredible that not even six months after that whole thing happened, DeMar, DeMar Hamlin was back on the football field. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's the show. Um, that sometimes miracles do happen. And so, uh, you know, that, that, that team that was performing that care on him, very deserving of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was such a great night to honor the sports and the memories that have taken place over the last year. Yep. All right, we're going to move on to trivia here. Kyle is on the block. One of the daily games that is going around right now, it is – uh, not just going around baseball fans, but it's even going around baseball clubhouses. It's this game called Immaculate Grid. Kyle, have you heard of it? I'm not. You have not. Okay, that's what we're gonna we're gonna do today's Immaculate Grid. I'm gonna share the screen real quickly because we're here on Zoom. Um, let's see where. Here we go. All right. So we're gonna play. Kyle's gonna do this Immaculate Grid. So here's how to play, Kyle. It's a Three by three grid. Uh, let me close the. Uh, so it's a three by three grid here. So um, it's got to match the two, um, the two teams or the two um, awards um, within the same box. So three by three grid here. Um, you can only pick one player uh, for one box. You get nine answers, nine guesses, whether correct or incorrect. Um, and you can use a player twice. Oh, man. This is not going to go well. I'll just tell you that right now. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. So in today's Immaculate Grid, the first box uh, upper left is a you need a member of the, both the Rockies and the Detroit Tigers. The second box next to that in the middle is a Detroit Tiger and a San Diego Padre. And then the third box in the upper right is a Detroit Tiger who has hit 500 homers. And to the awards, Kyle, can it doesn't necessarily have to be that they hit their entire career hitting that those awards with that team. So it's a little bit easier. It's well, not like these, you have are to... These, are these current players? You can do current or former players. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you get A's and Rockies um, in the middle left row, A's and Padres in the middle, and then an A's player who has also hit 500 career homers, the Giants player who has hit at least 500 homers in the uh, bottom right, Giants and Padre player, and a Giant and a Rocky. Giants and a Padres player? So, God, just tell me any box, 
and yeah. we can so go ahead and get started. These are teams like I am just besides the the Padres and like the Giants. I am mm-hmm. not well formed. All right, well, bottom right's Barry Bonds. I'll okay, that should be correct. <laughs> Let's put that in. I mean, he does lead all the baseball at home runs. Barry Bonds, there you go. Sixty-one percent of the uh, group has. Uh, of the... Mm-hmm. So f- five hundred uh, plus career batting. I'm looking for a tiger. You're looking for a tiger. Okay. And you're looking for. Okay, I'm gonna go with Miguel Cabrera. That would be a pretty good guess. Let's see, Miguel Cabrera. Yep, there you go. Ninety-one percent have selected Miguel Cabrera. All right, cool. Uh, A's player. It could be anyone who's played for the A's before. An A's player who's played with the Rockies. An ace player who's played with the Padres, and you also need an ace player who has been uh, has also been a career that's a uh, five hundred hitter, home run hitter. So for the five hundred plus home runs, they would have had to play for the A's at any time. Yeah, any time. Um, didn't Mark McGuire play for the A's? Uh, he yes, he did. There you go. Let's see, Mark McGuire. There you go. There you go. Three for three among the. Home run hitters. All right, so I'm good with Now we got to fill some. Uh, that. Yeah, yeah, this is not going to go well. I'll tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. The way I've done this, Kyle, Oh. my whole concept is trying to um, think recent. Think as recent as you can. Yeah, just enough to I'll, I'll give you one right there. Okay, for which box? For uh, Tigers and Padres. Yeah, there you go. Justin, Justin. Yeah, there you go. Eighteen percent. Eighteen percent. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um. Oh man, Rockies and Tigers. What? Yeah. Just out of curiosity, would you be able to get this one like off the top of your head? No, I had a Google search it before. I had a search it before. For some for some reason, I want to say like Alan Trejo or something, but I, I know that's I know that's not right. Alan? No, I know that's no, not that's right. No, that's not right. How? I know. I, I'll I, save a guess and yeah, I'll I, save I, you I, a guess I was just I was just saying that to say it, but I knew I wasn't gonna like. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Oh, four four. I don't know. Uh, see, I don't know if the, I don't know if this man has always been on the Rockies. He might have been, but I'm just gonna guess Herman Marquez. Herman Marquez. Yeah, I, I don't have another guess. Nope, that's incorrect. Oh, that's too bad. All right. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Okay, maybe skip that box. Yeah, I'm not gonna. That no. one now. Okay, Rockies and Giants. Mm-hmm. Oh. Padres and Giants. Oh, 
Taylor Rogers. There you go. That's a good one. I didn't think about Taylor Rogers. There you go. Good. Fourteen percent. Fourteen percent. Okay. My guess, Kyle, for Padres and Giants. Yeah. Sean Manaya. Oh, uh, that's a good one. And I, I got nine percent. Yeah. All right. Three guesses. Four boxes. All right. Uh, let's go with. Uh, seems really uh Padres and A's as well hmm. huh I have no idea hmm. yeah this is really tough um For some reason, for some reason, I, I want to guess the Tigers and Rockies again. Okay. I think. Because I, I honestly have no idea. I have no idea at all. But I'm just going to guess Zach, Zach McKinstry. Zach McKinstry. I have no idea. I'm just throwing that out. Zach McKinstry. Has he played for... Show up on the first. Oh, I think it's an H. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Zach McKinstry is not. No. Man, I have no idea. Him? A's and Rockies, though. Uh, CJ Perlman is the other one. Uh, man, this is so tough. These are all just teams I've never really paid much attention to the rosters. Yeah. Like the Rockies. Mm. A's and Padres in the world. Man, I don't even know if I have any more guesses in me, Kevin. Well, you got two. Yeah, I, I just got a guess. I got to throw some out there at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, think current. Try to think current. So there are some answers out there. Trying to think of like any trades I have. That's a good start. Mm-hmm. Trades, free agency. Rockies. Um, isn't there like some Giants outfielder that was on the Rockies or something? I don't know. Giants. Is he an outfielder? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Chris Bryant? Is he on the Giants now? Chris Bryant. The Giants, all right. 
Well, he's with the Rockies right now, Kyle. He's on the I remember he's only he's on the IL. He's um, only like he, ne- games. he never plays. He yeah, never, he never plays. plays. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, there we go. There we go. <laughs> All right, one and I selected. Like, I was thinking of earlier too, and I was just like, did he? Is he on the Rockies or is, did he play for the Pirates? <laughs> I was like, did he? Uh, oh, man, that was that took a while to come out. Uh, I just yeah. didn't use really a guess, but it paid off. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Padres and A's. Padre and A, a Rocky and an A, and a Rocky and a Tiger. I think that's Tiger. Rocky and an A. Uh, I feel like there's going to be some pitcher or something. Maybe some. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know who's on the Tigers. Man, this is these are just re- very random teams to be putting out there. Yes, they are. It's uh, this immaculate grid goes. Uh, it's different every single day. So resets at midnight. Ah, I'm just really trying to test my brain right now. Um, I really have no idea here. Uh, I'm trying to think of like, okay, let's just. I don't. I don't think he was on the A's, but I'm just gonna guess it for the Padres and A's. I'm just gonna guess uh, Jerkson Profar. I don't know if it's right. I can't remember if he played on the A's. Jerkson Profar. Bang! There you go, Kyle. Good. I got Jerkson Profar. No way. Seven out of nine. That's so look. good. Mm-hmm. Seven percent. Seven percent. I guess such random players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. When I did this I, I earlier today, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a, my A's and Padre was Yonder Alonso. Mm-hmm. MLB Network analyst right now. Oh yeah. Uh, and then I had Jerks and Profar as my Rocky in A. Hmm. Yeah, so I should have done that, and then I should have had Sean Mania Padre in A. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, you could have done that too. Uh huh. Okay, so and then about, what about Tiger and Rocky? That was the only one I was missing. There's a couple current ones. One Kyle that you could have mentioned was CJ Crone. I know you mentioned him. You know, you know Tigers. Twenty twenty. Oh, see, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let's see. Another Tiger Rocky that you could have mentioned was former Angel Jose Iglesias. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Justin Upton. Another Tiger Padre that you could have mentioned was uh Brad Ausmus, former Angels manager. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see. Cabrera Maguire Bonds. Uh let's see. Willie Mays is another option there for the Giants five hundred home run hitter. Yeah. Um Let's see, uh, Chris Bryan. Well, let's see, A's and Rockies, like I mentioned, Jerks and Profar. Um, let's see, who else could uh, you mention? Let me pull that up. Um, let's see. Uh, Eric Burns. Um, let's see, who else? 
Jason Giambi. Remember Moneyball? Yeah. Um, Rocky A. Oh, yeah, the Rocky who still has yet to touch home plate, Matt Holiday, in 2007. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Matt Holiday. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, there's Jerks and Profar. Part of the Giants, I think he was. Former Giant Marco Scudero. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Houston Street, the closer. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some good names. Um, and two, you're able to see now that Baseball Reference took over this game. Yeah. Um, you could see the uh, um your score today's stats. So you see the, all the possible answers here. Um, the most popular options. So you got CJ Crone, Justin Altimayo, Cabrera, Matt Holiday, Ricky Henderson, and Mark McGuire, Chris Bryant, Jake Peavy. So another MLB Network analyst, and Barry Bonds. Wow. Huh. Then <laughs> you see how well, how accurate the board is, and you see a fifty-four percent. Barely half are getting the Rocky and the Tiger. Yeah, I wonder about that uh, 2% who didn't guess Barry Bonds or Willie Mays. I know, right? Maybe they, yeah, maybe you couldn't think of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 5% that I can't get, Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, those are the failed AI bots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, because there's four Giants with at least 500 homers in Mays. Hmm. No, Arlen Kilber was the tw- Nationals and the Twins. Um, but yeah. Willie McCovey. Yeah. And then... Um, yeah. So yeah. That is this says Immaculate Grid. Yeah, the Immaculate Grid. Day, first time doing it, seven out of nine. We'll take that. Uh-huh. Okay. Seven out of nine. And when we look at that too, Kyle. Seven out of nine. You see the player scores right now, Kyle. So yeah. about So the average score was six and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'll take that. Seven out of nine. Better than the majority. More than about eighty, ninety thousand have gotten at least seven today. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right, so that is trivia for today. We took Kyle tackled today's immaculate grid featuring the A's, the uh, the Padres, the Giants, the Rockies, and the Tigers, including some five hundred home run hitters. Yeah, you really got to think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty tough, but I'll definitely see if I can uh, try that again in the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is this week's episode here for Downline, episode number 109 in the books, talking the WNBA new offseason league, the NBA's new in-season cup. You got we talked some MLB with the All-Star game as the second half gets set next week. Let's see. We'll talk some Padres as they begin their second half as well, in addition to the Angels. 
see if we get any trades as we get closer to the Major League Baseball trade deadline in a couple of weeks as well. So that's going to do it for us here on it down the line. Oh, yeah, you got the Open Championship as well next week. So final major of the year uh, in the world of men's professional golf. So that's going to do it for us here on it down the line for Kyle Betts. I'm Brevin Hondo. We thank you for tuning into this week's episode, and we hope you listen next week.